The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now on Fast, the Dow falls below 30,000. The S&P losing nearly a quarter of its value from the highs. And the Nasdaq down almost 35% since peaking last November. Tonight, slow money plays as the traders dig through the market wreckage for some long-term buys. Plus, warning lights for the automaker shares of Tesla, Ford, and GM tumbling. As prices soar, delinquencies tick up and fears grow that the industry will not be able to resist big sales incentives if the economy slows down. And later, Bitcoin battered again, the cryptocurrency falling over 30% this month, now down almost 70% since last fall. Should traders expect this slide to continue? I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq Market Site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Guy Nami, and Brian Kelly. And we start off with the big breakdown on Wall Street. The Dow crashing below the 30,000 mark for the first time since January 2021. The Nasdaq dropping more than 4%. Its second decline of that size in just four days. The biggest of big tech getting smacked. Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, and Meta losing a combined $250 billion in market cap just today. But the pain was widespread. A whopping 215 stocks in the S&P hit 52-week lows today. That is more than 40% of the index. So what does this all tell you, Guy? Well, it's interesting. For a long time now, I've said the only panic I've seen for the last couple months, Mel, has been on the upside, days where the market goes higher. And the down days have been pretty orderly. Today, for the first time, in my opinion, in a while, it felt a little panicky to me, which I happen to think is a good thing. Now, full disclosure, as you know, 24 hours ago, we sat on this desk and I said I thought the market would have a violent rally. That clearly didn't come to fruition, although I do think that's coming to a theater near you. So stick, st- you know, stand tuned, people. But I'll say this as well. This market is doing everything we thought it thought it would do the months leading up to this. Valuations are coming down. The market's readjusting to a Federal Reserve that finally seems to be getting some discipline around it. And I happen to think that's a good thing as well. Right. And as you've been pointing out for months and months, the volatility in the Treasury market has been really out of control here. And there was times, Guy, where I honestly would say, well, it's not that, you know, it is liquid and this and that. But the volatility that we saw today from 3.2 to almost Mm 3.5 back to 3.2, you've also been saying that, hey, listen, people, you know, the idea of yields coming in is not exactly at this point in the cycle a great thing for equity valuations. I think that's really true when you think about just what happened and what got hit today. The names that were down 50, 60, 70 percent were all down for the most part, at least the stuff that I'm looking at, at least 5 percent. And then you had those large cap names, especially in tech that you were just talking about, Mel, um, were also getting absolutely bludgeoned. And then throw in some areas that have actually been strong over the last few months. Energy, you know, OIA 
LIH, XLE, the ETFs that track, you know, large integrated and the, and the uh, oil services down a lot. And, you know, listen, again, staples, utilities. It seems like, you know, correlations are going to one here, and that might speak a little bit to what Guy is talking about panicky to the downside. Yeah, I agree with both of those guys are saying. I think that it did start to feel panicky with the VIX, which we talk about a lot. Um, we'll get to that a little bit more later, but that was elevated today for sure. Sort of interesting. Again, we come to cross currents, right? We have we're fighting inflation, oil, uh, or at least oil equities mm-hmm. coming down. Oil itself, not a huge move actually. I ended up up the day a little bit, but um, so there's sort of a disconnect there. That divergence between the underlying. And the energy equities is pretty interesting. I mean, Dan called that, I think, last week, saying it doesn't really matter what oil does. These equities are going down. That was an excellent call. So that's sort of interesting. And then fears of inflation, yet the 10-year today. Coming down. Coming down. So um, a, a lot of cross-currents. I do think that correlation to one, when things really you know, go to hell in a handbasket, everything correlates to one. It's kind of where we are. Very, very painful for me. You know, I'm always long. So... Um, the hedges work some, which is nice. The longs go down. I'm much more long, which is not nice. But, you know, I think I think there's still more to go. So I'm not out there buying quite yet, except the little S&P. BK, what's your take on, on all of this today? And I'm wondering if you think the markets are signaling that they think that a policy error is in store. The notion that the Fed is is on the way to a recession or a stagflationary sort of scenario. And that's why we are seeing the 10-year yield come in. Yeah, I mean, I think the markets is, have been saying it's been a policy error since November. You know, I mean, that, that's where the high was, and that's when we started selling mm-hmm. off, and everybody thought, okay, the Fed's behind the curve. Now they're so far behind the curve, and now what they're doing, and it's exactly what they wanted, so be careful what you wish for. They wanted the economy to stall, get slower, so prices came down, labor supply increased. That's what they wanted to see, so they're seeing it. It's awfully painful. Uh, But I think if you look at the price action in bonds today, to me, that was one of the most interesting things. Yields going down and the stock market going down. So now I've got a scenario where yields go down, stocks go down. Yields go up, stocks go down. That's just not a great scenario for for stocks. I'm not a mathematician, but two out of two is bad. No, you're not. But you're a handsome mathematician if you were. But I'll say this. I can I can try to logically explain in my mind why yields went down today. And this is something we've talked about for a while. I don't think yields going down spurred the stock market. I think it's this flight to quality as the stock market was getting bludgeoned finally Finally. in the form of 10 year yields, which makes sense intuitively. But if you think yields going down are bullish, which I don't think anybody is suggesting It's actually more bearish. And BK makes a good point. We have now found ourselves in an environment where yields going down is bad and yields potentially exploding to the upside is bad. And that's what's been created. And just my last word on the subject, the policy error by the Fed is not being made over the last couple of months. The policy error was made years, if not decades ago. Just my opinion. I'm not speaking for the rest of the guys and gals on this desk, but that's where I come down on this whole thing. Yeah, and I'll just say the price action. I was not on the desk last night. I was watching you guys did a very nice job. I mean, listen, it was about as confusing of a market. You just used the term cross-currents, Karen, when you think about it. I mean, I've been in the business for 25 years here, and I can't remember a time where there were so many different macro factors that don't line up. Oftentimes, we'll look to say, well, if this happens, then that might happen, and then this makes sense to do that. And I thought the knee-jerk reaction, I know a lot of people were set up 
playing for a rally out of the Fed. They thought that 75 basis point um, hike was very well telegraphed, albeit in a very short period of time before it. And I think that sort of level of uncertainty, the fact that it really showed the Fed's hand, just like all of us, how confused we are about what's going on right now. I think the Fed is also. And I don't think the things that they're trying to battle right now are that controllable. And the last one, this is my daily reminder here today, is that, you know, all of this, they're trying to actually loosen up the employment market a little bit. That actually will add to some of the problems that we're feeling right now on the economic front. So your question about a 3.2 percent 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, if you think the front end is the one that the Fed is trying to influence with Fed funds, it's the 10-year, the one that reflecting the sort of growth. And if we do see unemployment tick up from basically pre-pandemic lows at 3.6 percent, if we get anywhere near 4 percent, the economy is most definitely going to be in a somewhat protracted recession. And that stagflationary environment is the one where investors will have a hard time pricing risk assets like equities. Well, well it seems like the market, I mean, I'm not speaking for the market, but it, is, it seems like right now the scenarios of recession, the odds of recession are climbing. The odds of a, a potential stagflationary environment are climbing as well. And the most likely scenario is one of the two, as opposed to the scenario of sticking the landing, mm-hmm. of just exactly threading that needle. And finally, we've come to that sort of realization. Right. I mean, I'm not seeing a Carrie Strug, if you remember her from, I don't know, whatever Olympics <laughs> that was, happening here. And, you know, we talked about this with Steve Leisman last night, the idea of if we are in a recession, I actually think that may be that may be what the what the markets need, because they look they look forward. And I think that time and again, we have seen markets bottom before the economy bottoms. And if the economy is just, you know, sort of flailing around, that's, as you said, to the stagflation scenario, that's that is not the good. That's the bad case. Can I just get in here real quickly, though? Again, the (laughs) S&P closed down 23 percent on the year from an all time high. And if you think back to 2018, we did not have the inflationary pressures. We really did have growth concerns back then. Maybe there's some valuation concerns. And so my point is, is that if the market bottomed down 20 percent, we're down 23 percent right here. That's not happening. And I go back to what you were just saying about, you know, the last time we had a recession after a huge asset bubble, obviously the financial crisis, but go back to the dot-com 21 or two years ago. I mean, at the end of the day, that was a protracted bear market led by, you know, we were worried about double recession. So I don't think there's one point in time that you're going to be able to point to in 2022 and say this is done. I think we're in it for a bit of a long time. That may be, but we talk about the market as a monolith, which it's not, right? So we've seen these rolling, you know, sort of uh, corrections and then crashes. I mean, I th- and I still think actually on some of the super high flyers, we still have some ways to go. But there are other things that I think are excessively punished in that same correlation to one washout scenario that I think could do OK. If look at oh, uh, two, the, the Internet bubble when that burst, a lot of companies bottomed right then. The 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 when? tech when? in 2000? 2001, 2000, around there. Not really. 2002 yes. was the worst possible year. And I say this in all the, the time. Tech market, stocks yeah. that were down 50, 60 percent, they got cut in half, they got yes, cut in half again. right. But if you look at some of the value stuff that was completely left for dead during the 99-2000 run-up that nobody wanted to touch. But there were no values was, this time. The I only values were energy, and they just, they just like blew out and then just came in 10, 15 percent. So may I insert myself in this yeah. conversation? Please, it's your show. I think that, is, show that we are all, we, everybody tries to find 
a corollary, right, mm. in history. It was like this time. It was like that time. This time, and I'm, I hate to say it's very different, but the circumstances going into this period of time are, in fact, very different, Brian Kelly. And if you take a look at trading floors across Wall Street, uh, you, you know, any of the firms here, how many people were trading this market or, or conscious to the point of knowing how markets reacted in 1994 to a 75 basis point hike. The fact of the matter is not many people have yeah, that no, experience I, with I, that, let zero. alone the circumstances that we are in right now. Absolutely. Well, right. And that's exactly right. And I've spent the better part of the last month reading about markets from the 1930s and 1920s, because those are the scenarios that look a lot more analogistic to me or whatever that word is. But it, that's what it seems to me is that we have a scenario where you've had an everything bubble. You've had the most monetary stimulus in the history of the world. You've had every single asset class, including my beloved Bitcoin, be blown to the moon. Why wouldn't it take a long period of time to work off that excess? To me, that's the baseline scenario that you have to be with. And I think probably the only person who could remember all the way back to the 20s and 30s <laughs> is Guy. Can I just talk about that's one corollary interesting to the 1930s was the um, bringing everything back to the United States. We are actually now there is a corollary onshoring. there of the onshoring and deglobalization. De yeah. Well, I do actually remember that. It was fun. You know, it was difficult to go through, but in retrospect, some of the best years of my life. We learned how to be together as a family and all those things you read about in your books. Why is it different this time? I'll tell you exactly why. Because now you have central banks globally hiking into an environment where global debt to GDP, as BK will tell you, is probably approaching 125 percent or so, which is ridiculous, unsustainable here in the United States, Higher. close to 100 Higher, right, higher, Bob, higher if you're playing prices right. So, I mean, it's insanity 300%. if you really think about it. And that's why it's different, Melms. 300%. Wow. So it's an everything bubble, BK. Yeah, that, I mean. That has to work itself through right. globally. That's what I think. I think yeah. that, is the, that is the scenario that has the highest probability, as we just discussed. Yeah, and I would just say here, so how do we kind of find bottoms? We need sentiment to shoot the other way. We had, you know, multiple years of just, you know, you just called it the everything bubble. I think that was a term that a strategist who was very bullish on a lot of things and very right for a long time. Until you see people like that capitulate on that sort of thing. And, you know, if you look at, I saw a report from FactSet earlier today about the number of buy ratings still on S&P 500 stocks that have been corrected 30, 40 percent or so. You know, you can't just ride those things out all the way down 50 percent. At some point, you're going to have to adjust your ratings and your estimates and that sort of thing. So I think sentiment is really important. But we say this all the time. Mel, you just said it's different this time. I traded through the late 90s and the 2000 uh, bust afterwards and into the financial crisis and afterwards. And we all have a lot of scar tissue from that. I will tell you that there's a lot of components of both of those lead ups and blow ups in what's going on right here. And I will tell you again, if you're watching this show and you did trade through those periods, you will understand that what's going on right now is very different because of the inflationary environment. You know, back in 2000, you know, it was really easy to lower interest rates. Back in 2007 and 8, it was easy to lower interest rates. They can't do that right now. And that's why I think you're going to have all of this volatility and why 23% low in the S&P and 31% low in the NASDAQ will not cut it this time, people. So where do you think we go? 
Oh, I think we round trip back in the S&P 500 easily to the pre-pandemic highs, which was about 33.93 or so. And then if you look at the Nasdaq, it probably round trips that and that's down 40 percent. So the S&P is going to be down 30 percent. All that being said, depending upon what your time horizon is, if you were one of these people who has excess investable capital, you have to start thinking about dollar cost averaging and really good stories or sectors where you think value valuations have overshot to the downside. And some of these most innovative sort of names that just were trading at disconnected levels of price to sales 30, 40 times or whatever, once they come into single digits, they're like a hat size, that's when you may say, okay, if I have a four or five-year time horizon, that's where you start picking. Speaking of which. Oh, I like this a game or no? This show, of course, is called Fast Money, but we thought we'd go into slow money mode today since uh, the markets are selling off. We want to know what the traders are looking at here in terms of attractive buying opportunities for the long term. So... Guy, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, healthcare to me is not going away. This is a secular change. I mean, this is going to be here for the foreseeable future, if not forever. And HCA, which is a company everybody loved in March when it was trading $279, an all-time high, has fallen off a cliff, like most things, down 40%. Here we are. But you start looking at this company, I think Bernstein just initiated coverage, a buy rating, a $270 price target, or thereabouts. These things start to make sense just on valuation alone. Currently trading less than nine times next year's numbers. I don't think those numbers are going to get ratcheted back all that much. 200 hospitals, I believe, here in the United States. Many more healthcare facilities. I mean, that is not going away. I think HCA at these levels is really interesting. Karen? Okay, so just first, I thought we were doing a slightly different segment here. <laughs> I thought we were doing so bad it's good. Oh. Right? Am I the only one who heard that? I am, I we guess. We changed it during we changed the day, it. so maybe the messaging gets right. disseminated. So but it's it's still the notion that things have gone so, so far to the yes. downside that it's worth looking okay, at. Okay, right that's now. where I come out on this. So okay. bad it's good, which is actually S&P calls. With the VIX coming up here, I don't know if we have the chart, but the VIX many times in the last, uh, I don't know, six months, a year, every time it hits 35, the market seems to think, all right, that's a temporary bottom. We have had a giant whoosh down. Regardless of what one thinks, you know, a month or two or six months out, to me, it is quite possible we see a significant bounce. Five or six percent wouldn't be shocking really at all by June 30. And so this I bought S&P outright calls and some call spreads. And I just think that kind of bounce, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. In fact, I actually expect a big bounce in the short term. That doesn't mean anything for the longer term. Just oversold very much in the short term. Yeah. Dan, you're looking at tech. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think there's some unusual values. And again, to your point, Karen, you're talking about 2000. I mean, there are stocks. I'm looking at Snap. Okay, it's down 85 percent from its all time high just last year. And, you know, this was a stock where, you know, people didn't care about valuation on the upside. It was really this secular shift. And when you look at a company that's doing five billion dollars in annual like digital ad sales and you think of the opportunity they have and the user growth that they have and some of the metrics that, you know, have really been punishing Twitter that they've not been able to do. But you think of what a small piece of the pie that they have, but the attention capital that they do have. Now it's trading just below four times sales, three times next year. I think that's kind of interesting. Last month, I started picking at it after that um, blow up, and I'll continue to do that. I mean, could this stock go much lower? Of course it could. Like I said, stock's down 80%. They can still get cut in half. But at some point, this is not a near-term trade. It's probably a little bit more of a long-term thing. Brian Kelly, where are you going? Nowhere. 
No, I just don't think it's an environment to do anything in, right? Ah. We just spent the first 15 minutes of the show talking about the probabilities of what's going to happen over the next six months or 12 months, right? So I've got maybe at best a 10% shot of them sticking the landing and getting a slow, uh, a soft landing, right? The other two options are long-term stagnationary trend like we had in the 70s or a severe recession, hard landing. And in both of those scenarios... I don't want I don't want to buy anything. Now, this is not necessarily, hey, go to cash, that type of thing. But asking me if I have cash today, what do I want to buy? I don't want to buy a thing because if I'm wrong and sometimes I am wrong. But if I'm wrong, I will have all kinds of time to get back into this market. So if you had cash, just to just to clarify this, because we've come into different periods of time where we've said, it, it's it's great to be in cash. and We've gotten a lot of flack. But if you have cash right now, BK, you're saying don't deploy it. Right. Yeah. Okay. You listen, I mean, listen, the market's down 20, 30 percent. It's, it's hard for me to tell somebody, hey, dump everything and don't wait for that that big rip, uh, rip your face off rally. I, I do think Karen's right in that sense. And we know from history that the largest market rallies happen during a bear market. So it's hard to say, hey, just dump everything. But if you have free cash today, if you buy something today, I don't know, maybe you're going to be in it for five or 10 years before it comes back to even. Five to ten years before it comes back to even. That's a pretty dire well, But it's not exactly The 70s even. were terrible. Yeah. I, I would just say this. Like, you listen, mean? you know, you got to start picking out some things if you have investable cash. And you're not going to be looking at it a month now if it's down 10 percent or 15 percent. Like, that's the sort of thing. And, BK, you're not going to love this. Or maybe you will. I mean, I started buying a little ETH um, over the last few weeks ago. And you know what? I bought some at 2100 And, you know, what? today it's 1100 And I'm kind of not looking at it because I'm kind of, like, figuring out if I have a multi-year time horizon, I have to – I'm not going to pick a bottom. I have to kind of work my way into some of these things. By the way, BK, um, I'm quasi with you. I would submit that if you wait about another five years, that artwork you bought for some exorbitant amount behind <laughs> your head will absolutely at some point go back to the value that you paid for it. <laughs> yeah, that's one of 2,000. <laughs> Coming up, we're digging deeper into today's big market sell-off and honing in on one part of the market seeing particular pain, why the auto trade could be facing some roadblocks. But first, it wasn't just stocks in the red, Bitcoin dropping to the $20,000 mark, and our Bitcoin baller says there may be even more pain ahead. We're breaking it down when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was another cringe day for crypto. Digital currencies sold off again today with Bitcoin closing back, back in on the 20,000 mark. The flagship crypto has plunged nearly 70 percent from its all-time high last November. Meantime, Ether sits nearly 80 percent below its record high. So where's the bottom line? We got to go to BK on this. Um, You have been short Bitcoin. Where do you stand now? I am still short, not as short as I used to be, but I am still short. So what we have going on here is crypto's 2008 moment. Very similar things happened in crypto that happened during the great financial crisis. And what we still have is collateral that was pledged in multiple different areas that is now impaired, leverage upon leverage upon leverage, distressed buyers, and that combination has not been cleared yet. So until that is cleared, It is going to be hard for crypto to bottom. And I just don't think it's here. There is also, um, I don't want to say an implosion, but a contraction in in the money backing upstart sort of Bitcoin related firms, cryptocurrency firms. And I'm wondering how that plays out in that there aren't as many developers, maybe developing platforms, developing applications, um, using these networks and these platforms. And maybe that doesn't help, uh, you know, the cryptocurrencies themselves. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you think when I think about cryptocurrencies, it's a network effect. That's really what you're buying here. Similar to how you're buying Facebook early and thinking, okay, at some point they're going to have a billion users. You're buying crypto and thinking at some point there's going to be a billion users. But if you get in an environment like this where everybody's been been hurt during this downturn and you have people being laid off and there's not venture capital money to have the new products, that's going to hurt your network effect. Now, to be clear, I do have a very bullish view over the next five to 10 years on Bitcoin. It's just we have to get through this period of time before we can say, all right, all clear. Yeah, it's interesting. BK obviously wrote the book in 2014. He has clearly forgotten more than I'll ever know. But I'll say this, and we've been pretty steadfast. Bitcoin was created, in my opinion, this fear that central banks run amok, and they were right to create it on the back of that. These Bitcoin ballers out there, they never saw central banks try to be responsible until November of last year. And I don't think it's coincidental at all that Bitcoin topped out the same time our Federal Reserve pivoted. Now, when you see the Swiss National Bank out of nowhere seemingly raise rates and now global central banks raising rates, that speaks to them trying to be responsible. Not coincidental. Now, Bitcoin is seeing levels we haven't seen in three years. These central banks will pivot at some point. I think BK agrees with that. And when they do, that to me will be the green light to get into Bitcoin. So Dan earlier, BK, revealed that he bought some Ether, Ethereum. And so I'm wondering, um, you know, what what will make you, BK, step in and put some money to work and buying cryptocurrencies versus the positions that you currently have? Yeah. Yeah. So I I think there's there's two things that I'm looking for. Number one is what Guy just said, some sort of panic and or pivot on the uh, on the front of the central banks. That's number one or something or them doing something that just breaks markets. Then you need an alternative currency. What they're doing right now, particularly with the Bank of Japan, is absolutely choosing, you know, uh, to fight inflation at the expense 
uh, fight, fight inflation at the expense of their currencies, uh, and they're torching their currencies. So um, that is a catalyst. So I need that to happen. I need central banks to panic and say, wait, we need growth now all of a sudden. And then number two, I need this, this, this leverage to be flushed out of the system. Um, and we'll probably see that, you know, I, I don't know, but if I had to guess right now, you know, maybe 15,000 on Bitcoin is probably a place where I'd start to look and say, did the leverage get flushed out and how close are we to central banks panicking? Hey, BK, it's Karen. You had talked a couple of weeks ago about not wanting to get long Bitcoin until you felt like the Nasdaq sell-off was over. Do you have a particular level in mind that would make you be a Bitcoin buyer? Yeah, so, so right now, based on my, my particular valuation model, um, uh, between twelve to 18000 is kind of a fair value, or I should say that is a, a, a cheap value for Bitcoin based on the network effect. So somewhere around those levels. Now, what's interesting is most of the year, the correlation between Bitcoin and the NASDAQ has been running at 80%. That's dropped down into the mid-50s right now. So you're starting to see a break in the correlation, which I view as positive. All right. Coming up, Musk making waves at Twitter's employee meeting, what he said that had workers fearing the worst. More on that straight ahead. Plus, some car troubles, autos deep in the red as pricing and production come into focus. We've got the details next. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Automakers sinking today. Tesla raising prices for all its U.S. models as material costs surge. And Ford CFO warning that loan delinquencies are on the rise. All of this as rates continue to move higher. Let's get under the hood now with our own Phil LeBeau. Phil, seems like the headwinds are mounting. Oh, they are, Melissa. And if you thought the automakers, look, they were having great pricing, profit margins were surging. Yeah, they've made big investments and commitments for EVs. Look, a lot of people are sitting there saying, what can we expect over the next six months? In terms of Tesla and the price increase, it's got a lot of attention. The company coming out today, and they didn't come out and announce it, but if you look at the pricing on the website, you see that they have raised the price of the long-range Model Y by 5%, bringing it up to 65990 Not a surprise that they're doing this. Higher pricing for raw materials that go into the components for EV batteries has all any, anything green-related Prices are moving higher. There's enough demand out there that they can pass this along to the consumer, whether plug-in hybrids, pure EVs, even the plain old gas-electric hybrids. Those prices are up almost 10%. Speaking of EVs, yesterday GM's CFO John Lawler was talking uh, at the Deutsche Bank conference, and he mentioned 
that they are uh, noticing a change in terms of what's happening with uh, loans for customers, noticing that there is an increase in delinquencies. Now, it's not to the point where we're looking at a 2008 situation, but they are noticing an increase in delinquencies, and they're going to monitor that. So it's one of those signs where you wonder what the executives are seeing. They're starting to see a little bit of that uh, in terms of what's out there in the market right now. And also, let's take a look at new vehicle prices, because they are close to a record high, just shy of a record high. This is according to J.D. Power. The expectation is that they're going to remain this high for some time to come. Why? There's simply so much demand that is out there, not enough supply. Now, how much of that demand will go away as people rethink whether or not they want to buy a new vehicle with a price that's over 45000 on average? Some of it will go away, and they're starting to see that at the lower end of the market. But at the upper end, I've talked with dealers, Melissa, who are saying, nope, still have a, a slew of people who are coming in. And they're ordering vehicles. Most of the vehicles being sold right now are increasingly being ordered and then ultimately built and shipped out to the dealerships. Nonetheless, almost all the auto stocks today at 52-week lows. Rough day for the auto industry, Melissa. Phil, are are consumers still leaning heavily on auto loans to buy these higher-priced cars? Because that's going up, too, and that's going to eat into auto affordability, basically. It, it does. And you know what we're seeing? What we've seen for some time, and it's going to be accelerated. People will simply stretch out their loans. Melissa, mm. more than a third of the loans in the first quarter were for six and a half or longer, basically seven-year loans. That was unheard of five years ago. Experience says 36% of those loans written in the first quarter were for longer than six years. And I think it continues to grow. People want that low monthly payment, as low as they can get it. And yet monthly payments are at a record high, I think like 550, something like that, in terms of new vehicles. All right. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Karen, what what do you think about this? Well, it's clearly negative, obviously, right? I'm wondering where the used car market is now. Has it rolled over yet? I'm guessing not quite yet. I mean, that bodes poorly, of course, for uh, all the automakers. But I think that um, gas prices as well, to the extent that that diminishes the interest of for, for SUVs, right? Those are the highest margin products that they make. You know, a lot of bad, a lot of bad things happening all at one time. Don't love it. They have to wonder what, at what point are these stocks sort of discounting all of that. So Ford, this time last year or May of last year, Ford was an eleven dollar and fifty cent stock. I thought into the fall it was one of the best plays out there, and that proved to be true. But I never thought it would get back to levels that it was this time effectively last year. So you start to play the game, and you look at Ford probably trading south of five times projected earnings for next year. And Karen brings this up all the time. The market cap of Ford is $45 billion. What you really need to look at, enterprise value, because it's a heavily dead $165 billion, let's just call it. That's what they do in revenue. So the math, you say to yourself, at a certain point, just on some of these metrics, you got to take a look at the equity, I would think, unless you think Ford's going out of business, which I don't think. Right. All right. Coming up, Elon Musk addressing Twitter employees in an all-hands meeting. What he had to say about the company's future, that's next. And home builders getting hit hard on the back of the Fed's big rate hike, how options traders are playing the move. The details ahead when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Twitter finishing the day well in the red as Elon Musk addressed employees at today's all-hands meeting. Among the topics covered by Musk, his goal of reaching one billion daily active users, the importance of free speech on the platform, in-person work, the potential for layoffs, and even a brief diversion into the topic of aliens. So did Musk's session answer any questions about whether this deal will get done? I know Guy and, and Brian Kelly, are, your ears perked up when I said aliens, I know for a fact, because that is a personal interest of, of you guys. Um, but it does seem, Karen, that, yeah. that having this meeting in and of itself makes it more likely or makes it seem more likely that this deal does go through. Yeah, I think it's fairly unusual, and mm-hmm. I understand why Twitter management wanted to do it. Anything they can do to sort of psychologically get Elon in the head of, okay, I'm going to buy this company is good. Um, so, I, you know, that's why the stock held in there pretty well. As Tesla comes down, though, this gets more expensive. And I'm not, I'm not certain he's going to close. Who knows? I think it's, it's really hard to, to, to play this one because it could go down 15 bucks if he leaves and he sells the stock. Absolutely. Could it close at 54? That actually seems a little bit less likely. But I can't handicap it more than 50-50. So I'm out of this one. Fascinating to watch, though. A billion daily active users is quite a lofty goal. Considering- never happens. It'll never happen. <laughs> no, it, it'll ne- no, it would never happen in the next 10 years. The users or the deal? The users. Uh-huh. Um, because the very issues about opening up the platform to all the things that made it very unpalatable to lots of users, why they left or people that were deemed to be censored and why they took their people with them to start new social. Right. It's, it's just not going to happen. I mean, and, and here's the other thing. OK, so the likelihood that he's speaking to the, you know, to the employees, these are employees that he is just, you know, directly derided the product, derided the management, derided the ethos, derided everything like that, okay? There's nothing good going on at that company right now. Think about that. If you're employed by that company, you feel like you were sold out by Jack Dorsey. You feel like at first maybe your CEO and the management wasn't particularly well, you know, like dealing a great job. The board has not done a good job. He has been all over the place. So to me, this quarter is going to be a disaster. The guidance should be a disaster. They have an unmotivated workforce here. And to Karen's point, the lower Tesla goes, and I feel like it's going much lower here, the less likely it is. The only good news, if you hope that this stock actually trades um, on a deal greater than where it's trading right now is that by the board and the company allowing him to speak to their employees, okay, is that it maybe makes the likelihood of a negotiated deal at a lower price higher. Why is it, okay, so, so I, I agree that a billion is quite lofty, um, shall we put it, Brian Kelly, but he wants to make this platform more like a TikTok or a WeChat, and they have many, 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 many users. So if that is the case, isn't it possible that that he could accomplish, I don't want to say a billion, but, you know, closer to a billion yeah. than what Dan says, which is not. No, no way. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I would say under the under the current platform, the way it looks, I, I would agree with Dan that I think probably a billion users is not. But if you look at other platforms and say, I'm going to take users from that because I'm going to make this platform look more like that then sure, that's just simple kind of a market share type of calculation. So I I think it's possible. I don't think it's very likely, though, uh, but I do think it's possible. I think it's more likely that Elon's the alien and SpaceX is his ride home and he's just trolling (laughs) us until he outy 5,000. So how did he get here then? He can't take back what he took here? Crashed. The vehicle? Yeah, no, because it crashed. Uh, Have you ever heard of Area 51? 
Just saying. Okay. News you can use. The more you know. (laughs) Coming up with Markets in Turmoil, the chart master is here to lay out where stocks are heading. Carter Braxton Worth's key levels to watch straight ahead, plus burning down the house, the home builder ETF getting absolutely hammered. (laughs) One option traders betting the slide will continue. The trade is next. Much more fast money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Home builders having their worst day in two years as the Fed's 75 basis point rate hike drives mortgage rates to their highest level since 2008, putting downward pressure on home prices. One option trader is betting that today's washout is just the beginning of more pain ahead. Mike Coe is the action. Mike. Yeah, so XHB, the S&P select home builder ETF traded over five times its average daily put volume. And the trade that stuck out to me was a purchase of the July 50 45 put spread. We saw a buyer of 4,000 of those paying about $1.15. Take a look at those strikes and you'll realize that the buyer of that put spread is targeting move of 7 to 14% to the downside over just the next four weeks. Thank you, Mike Coe, for that. By the way, according to a new Redfin survey, the shares of home sellers lowering their asking prices is at a record high right now. BK, how are you feeling about the I don't even know why I'm asking you. You think you probably think the housing trade is terrible right now. Yeah, well, yes, but but I'll tell you what, I, I do think it's a good sign that housing is starting to slow because this is kind of the last leg of the asset bubble that the Fed wanted to pop. And so now we saw the the new home sales and building permits, they were atrocious. So we're seeing that slowed out. So the worse it gets, the closer we get to the Fed stopping interest rate hikes and maybe even pivoting. So it's it's so bad, maybe it's good. Maybe I would agree with that on this. All right. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time coming up. The June swoon with investors hitting the sell button this month. What are the key market levels to watch here? The chart master, Carter Braxton Worth, will join us with a read on where we are heading and throughout June. We are celebrating Pride Month. Here's Julian Woodhouse, founder of Woodhouse Army. Making sure that people never feel alone is so incredibly important um, because it's something that when you're growing up and you're in the closet or you come out of the closet and you're not in an environment that's extremely supportive of you, it can be really lonely. And I think um, I'm really proud of our community for being so inclusive and so warm uh, to all of us because we all need each other at the end of the day. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks plunging deep into the red today, closing near session lows. The S&P falling more than 3%, the Nasdaq over 4%, and the Dow dropping nearly 750 points to fall below 30,000 for the first time since January of last year. So with all this red in the market, what can we expect next? Who better to turn to than Chartmaster Carter Worth of Worth Charting? Carter, what are you watching? You know, I think the sequencing here calls for a bounce and uh, it has nothing to do with your long term view or your view of earnings or multiple contraction. Just the here and now seems a bit overdone. Let's look at a few tables and charts and try to figure it out together. So what we know uh, since the Jan 4 peak, there have been four distinct sell offs and three distinct rebounds. Um, let's examine those. So the, the next slide depicts the four very clear sell offs from the Gen 4 high. You see magnitude and duration. And while there's a bit of variance, they're typically, you know, three plus minus weeks and 
down 10 to 15%. Now look at the rebounds. Also, they're shorter in duration, but have been 10% plus or minus. Here and now, let's look at the chart of the S&P with those annotations drawn in. Basically, sequencing, if you will, would call for a rebound. It doesn't matter whether you call it a bear market rally or just a ricochet. It's just that throughout history, whenever you have a primary trend, this is clearly a downtrend, you have counter trend moves, just as you have counter trend moves when you're in an uptrend, pullbacks. And so my thinking is this is what is due. Now, the final chart I have here is just uh, the long-term chart of the S&P. It's a beautiful, uh, not because I made the chart, it's just a beautiful 45-degree angle. It is the entire 2009-2022 bull market. And we are now precisely to the penny at the midpoint of that channel, um, exactly down 24%. My thinking here is this is where sequencing calls for a bounce. And I would just point out one other thing. At the end of last year in December, that's six months ago, the Russell 3000, the broadest anchor we have, was down 1-2%. And yet, I mean, you're talking about the internals. At that moment, in late December, um, half of all stocks in the index had already lost 20%. Now, we have 35% of the index down 50% just as there was no worry in the market in December. Now almost everyone's hysterical. I think you take the, the road less traveled. What is the, uh, uh, the level of the upper band in that channel, Carter? What kind of bounce should we expect? Oh, well, that would be getting us close to the highs. That's sort of a way out there in the future. But if you were to just continue the sequencing of these very distinct mm -hmm. sell-offs and rebounds, um, a 10 to 12% rebound is what would be uh, in order. Okay. Carter, thank you. Carter, worth of worth charting. Guy, you agree? I do. And I, that's what I thought would happen today when I talked about it last night. Clearly, that was wrong. But Carter's work speaks for itself. And what he didn't mention, there are also some unfilled gaps now in the chart on the upside, which inevitably will be filled. So I do think to Karen's earlier point as well, and Brian mentioned as well, some of the most mind-numbing rallies take place in bear markets we are now statistically in, so I can use that term. I think inevitably we go down to that 33, 3400 level, but first I think you have this 8 or 9% rally to the upside. Mm -hmm. And what sorts of sectors, BK, do you think could rally in this sort of mind-numbing within a bear market rally? Yeah, I mean, you're probably looking at some of the stuff that that was the high flyers most oversold or most shorted now. Um, so, you know, maybe you look at tech or something like that. That absolutely could happen. I, I think, you know, one point here and Karen made it earlier is this is a market that you want to play with options because you know what your risk is going to be. So even if you're wrong, you're not going to lose 10 percent. Maybe you're going to lose one percent. And I think that's how you have to play this market, because to Carter's point, we are down 20, 30 percent. We are due for some kind of a bounce. It will happen at some point in time, and you don't want to be max short when that happens. Tomorrow morning, Karen, we want to see what the follow-through is to today's big sell-off. What are you looking at first? Well, I want to see the VIX, and I want to see what happens to the 10-year. I don't even know if that means up or down, to be honest, right. but it did this sense of panic, and, you know, we often call the VIX the, the fear uh, indicator. I'd like to see that. I would probably buy more calls. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Brian Kelly. So for me, you can protect your portfolio or make a directional bet, SPY puts. 
Karen. You got to go to me right after yeah, that. Exactly. Yes, you can do the opposite of that. <laughs> and I think we're in for a bounce. I'm buying SPY calls and call spreads, both. Dan Nathan. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I mean, you don't want to press lows like this. We've been talking about that all week, but um, you will get those sorts of rallies in a snap. You're never going to kind of nail a bottom on dollar cost averaging and taking an intermediate trend time run. Melissa, if I had said to you in April, yeah. then I, what's today? The 15th? What's today? 16th. Whatever. On June. on June 16th, the Yankees of New York would be 46 and 16. 30 games over 500. What would you have said to me? I would me? say no way. No way you would have said. Yet here we are. 30 games over, Mel. Can you believe it? No, you can't. Clearly, you can't. I can't believe the Black Zone is trading where it is. BX, sister. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow for more Fast Money at 5. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.